Hello, everyone, and welcome to Why My Parents Worry About Me. I'm Taylor. And I'm Mana, and you're listening to a podcast where we spin the globe, land on a random city, and share stories of true crime, folklore, and a touch of paranormal that truly make our parents worry about us. We're back! Yes, and it feels so good. I know. Also nerve-wracking. Very. <laughs> it's bizarre to be, because we haven't, like, talked to each other a bunch in the last couple of weeks. Honestly, since we started this podcast, we started talking to each other so much. I know. Like, oh, so now, what do we day. do? <laughs> well, I was kind of drifting for a little bit there, but now I feel like, I feel like I'm home, Mana. Yeah, that's what I am to people in one place. <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. Mm-hmm. So, how was your break? Good. Like, what did you do? Um, I, I took a lot of mental health days, um, which is great. I, Hell yeah. I was able to chill, relax, all that fun stuff. Um, and then... I finished a couple of large projects with some nonprofits, so I'm excited to have them. They posted the work that I did for them on their uh, social media channels. So, yeah, it was a lot of fun, um, and I'm I'm happy to be, like, not super swamped and busy because it was, like, working full-time, and then on top of that, after full-time, I would have to work another, you know, freelance job, so... Uh, I'm glad I did it, and I'm also glad that's finished up, because now I have a lot more free time. Like, I don't know. Is your name is your name connected to anything? No, never. <laughs> nice. No, I'm just like a behind the scenes gal. No one knows who I am, which I think is really You're funny. <laughs> You're like the back, like the stage backstage at like theater productions. Oh yeah, yeah. They're like they vital to the production, but no one knows who they are. Yeah, yeah. It's it's um an interesting thought process because you are paid by these companies to help them out and do you know the stuff for them and they're not going to be like by taylor at the end or like yeah. you know whatever so, <laughs> what do you mean i want it to be like a trailer <laughs> it's like With your name like my at the end. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's weird because i i'll talk to people throughout like my community and through the industry that i work and they're like oh so like what do you do and i'm like a lot. <laughs> do a lot of different things. Just no one knows who I am. Which is my bad marketing. <laughs> Plus, I forget. This reminds me because, like, a couple days ago, I got in, like, a message from my school, like, high school that I graduated from. Uh-huh. And they were asking for information. So my best friend called me and we filled it out together. And they were asking for, like, my work of employment. Mm-hmm. And I was like, they were like, so where do you work now? And I literally was like, not available. Why do you have to know? <laughs> My, um, the last two weeks I've been getting alumni calls and emails about, um, getting money. Why do they think I have money? Right. I'm I like, graduated like three years ago or four years ago. Do you yeah, think I have money? No. I graduated college, what, two years ago? Yeah. I graduated high school. Like, I don't know. You were graduating oh my God, like five years ago. 2015? Yeah. Because yeah. you didn't graduate actual high school early. You just graduated college early, right? Yeah. Okay. So just high school. So. Yeah. So you're a year behind me, which is crazy to me. <laughs> what does it feel like to be an old man? Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not great. Thank you. <laughs> All I know is like I'm halfway to 30 and I really want a big blowout party at 30. So if we could just wear our masks, that would be great. <laughs> Wait, you're saying this pandemic is lasting till you're 30? I mean,. I really hope not. <laughs> <laughs> Please. That's like worst case scenario. That's like the skeptic of worst me. Worst case scenario. 
Huh? It really the worst case scenario is that the pandemic stays and pandemic stays right until your thirtieth birthday. <laughs> your thirtieth birthday happens with mass mm-hmm. over the next day. Yes. <laughs> it's done. I turned thirty, it's fine. We're safe now. <laughs> the girl made it to thirty. She wasn't a part of the twenty eight club. She's good. She's an adult. She's fine. <laughs> Ew, I'm so worried about my thirties. I'm like <gasps> Really? Old. I heard that thirties yeah. like the best the best time. Because you're not doing that awkward like wandering around like who am I throughout your like beginning of your 20s and then like from 20 to 20 or 20 to 30 you're like kind of solidifying your career or whatever I mean everyone has different yeah, I paths feel like I have to be an adult I feel like when you're 30 like I don't know because I still act a fool right now <laughs> but I'm like since I'm 23 I have some leeway you yeah know, some um, but once I'm 30 I can't act a fool but I feel like I'm gonna act the exact same I think that's okay <laughs> I, th- I know that there's, like, 35-year-old TikTokers that are famous, so... Stop. But, like, in work meetings, I still talk, like... I'll be like, I don't know. Like, that sounds like a lot of stuff to do, huh? <laughs> you talk also very like, Gen Z yes. for being, like, a mix of millennial. I... Okay. I realized this. So, I've been, obviously, watching a lot of TikToks. Um, I shouldn't be at my age, but I am. And I send most You're of them 30 to you. Yet. I know. I'm 24, almost 25. Two months will be twenty five. Oh my god! Oh, that's a Why would you say that to me? <laughs> Isn't that weird? Um, but I was thinking, like, I was like watching these kids talk, and they're like, "She's being real sus," and I'm like, "Stop! Just say the whole word." Like, it takes one second longer. Suspicious, or I even sus. sus. <laughs> like, Bailey Syrian doesn't say sus. What suspicious? I think that's cute. That's way cuter than sus. See, I don't like suspicious because I'm like, oh, why are you trying so hard? Oh, I think she's so cute. <laughs> I'm just mean. <laughs> to me, I feel like I've really like, because I play video games mm-hmm. and I think that's why I've kind of talked more like Gen Z. Yeah. Because, well, because you're playing with vid- video games like, with Gen Z. Yeah, essentially. Yeah. Um, And then they like, I don't know, even the adults and like when who play video games are mm-hmm. like, uh. Old. Even if they're older, they still talk like they're Gen Z because who they're playing with is usually younger. Interesting. So so it's just like the way that things yeah. going to work out. And they also they want to appeal to, if they have like a Twitch stream, they want to appeal to the younger viewers. Right, because they give more money. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it is what it is and I suffer for it. But yeah, it I is. feel like I just talk very like nonchalantly and I'm like, here I am. <laughs> so we've been on a break, obviously. Have you been, we had Thanksgiving. Did you enjoy your Thanksgiving? Yes. It was my first Thanksgiving home in like two years, three years. I've been doing That's Friendsgiving. Right. Um, so like I usually, am the, so for Friendsgiving, I'm the one that cooks and mm-hmm. my friends just come over. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it was nice to not have to cook for once and like stress over that. But yeah, it was actually like kind of nice to just like hang out with my family. Um, and I love food. Yeah. And. I was, like, telling Taylor before we started this podcast, like, episode that I really want to eat some of the deviled eggs in my fridge, but <laughs> we're recording it, like, really early, and I'm like, damn, I'm never awake this early. I feel like it would make me nauseous. Yeah. <laughs> I can't eat this early. Oh, my God. You should have saw me in the grocery store the other day. I literally knocked three people. Okay. I, honestly, it's from years of living in the city where I just, like... Probably. Yeah. I put, in, I, I put my headphones in at the grocery store, and I just go, <laughs> Bye. I have adapted into walking quickly through the grocery store just because I don't want anybody to stop me or look at me 
And also, I go uh, in a very dangerous grocery store. So. That's true. You have to go fast. (laughs) You have to go fast, get in and out, and don't make eye contact with anybody or you'll get stabbed. When I went to the grocery store yesterday, I literally was leaving the house and I was like, listen, I'm putting in headphones. I won't deal with it anyway. I don't want any woman to turn to me in the produce section and say, great holiday season we're having, huh? (laughs) (laughs) And my sister was like, stop. (laughs) They're being nice. And I said, I don't care. I don't want to hear it. I don't, I don't want to be there to shop. (laughs) Leave. I don't want to give into the social cues of the midwest i just exactly that's it's just a very midwest thing to like mm-hmm. talk to each other oh and yeah I, be friendly like, yeah and especially since i haven't really been out that much since i've been back because of covid mm-hmm. and like i'm used to, like i have been living in a bigger city mm-hmm. for a while now like a couple of years i just want to be like bye i have to go somewhere else <laughs> <laughs> i can't i feel like i just, can't talk to you <laughs> just from what i've been hearing from you today i think i need to move to the city so people stop talking to me <laughs> honestly it's honestly lovely but they're so much meaner oh well i don't do mean so i cry easily meaner. yeah you might cry at the streets <laughs> you'll like literally bump into someone and they'll be like hey like what do you think you're doing and you're like uh, uh, walking <laughs> i will explode i am so sorry so <laughs> i can't handle criticism please uh so um where are we going today we are in Alexandria, Egypt. Yes. I'm very excited about Egypt. I was very excited when you rolled this name. I know. I'm excited because I can kind of pronounce the names. Thanks, Dad. <laughs> Thanks, Dad, for being Arab. <laughs> yes. Thank you. Um, I was obsessed with Egypt when I was in, like, sixth grade. So. Why? <laughs> Why Egypt? Is it the gods? Like, the... Yeah. I had a, I had an infatuation with, like, um, like ancient Egypt and like uh the pyramids and uh like all the the gods and everything I thought they were really cool I don't know we did like one unit in sixth grade history and I was like this is the coolest thing ever I must learn everything about it I and that's that what I did kids <laughs> just that's obsess ex- over something exactly random what I, did. Like that. I did that and I did that with the Titanic I was like so obsessed with the Titanic that's so funny. Yeah. I don't know why there's like things that I really grab onto and those two, Mummies and Titanic was the two things that I grabbed onto in like fifth and sixth grade. You're like, I fucking love the Titanic. <laughs> Natural disaster, count me in. That's why we're doing this podcast. I know. Too. It's really, really just come young. full circle. <laughs> uh, so am I going first this week? Yes, you are. Oh my God. Okay. Let's see if I can do this or if I... uh. Be myself. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So this week I'm talking about the infamous um, serial killers, Rhea and Sakina from Alexandria, Egypt. So these serial killers are like really well known Mm -hmm. um, across Egypt. Parents would like use it to threaten their kids and be like, I'm summoning Rhea and Sakina to come get you. (laughs) Like (laughs) their kid misbehaved. Um, There's been like movies made about them. The bookie man of Egypt. (laughs) Um. There's, like, so many portrayals of them in different movies, comedies, thrillers, whatever you want to call it. They're, like, everywhere. How have I not heard of them? I mean, we don't live in Egypt. That's true. (laughs) We live far from Egypt. (laughs) A little bit. There's an ocean in the way. Um, But, yeah, so I'm pretty much just telling the story about them and their crimes. And, yeah, they did some things. (laughs) All right. To start off, Rhea and Sakina were sisters. They're originally from Upper Egypt um, and then later settled into the 
district of Alexandria. Uh, they were born 10 years apart with Rhea born in 1875. So like this was a while ago. They had a hard family life. Um, their father vanished when they were young and their mother was supposed to, supposedly very egocentric. So she did not really give them a lot of love. Mm-hmm. Um, growing up, they pretty much just sold vegetables and maybe robbed some places. They were kind of going all like all around, just trying to like survive as a working family. But as they grew up, they later moved to the village of El Zaya um, near the Nile Delta. So, before they were living in Alexandria, continue on. Sakina was a young prostitute where she met her husband Abdul Al, and uh, they eloped and then later moved to Alexandria. So that's how she kind of ended up there. Meanwhile, Rhea married Hasbalah, um, the brother of her dead husband, which sounds weird, but I it was common at this time for a widow to marry her dead husband's brother. But Hasbalah was a thief, um, and he also was a hashish smuggler, which is like hash, like marijuana, okay. different kind of like marijuana. Um, and he was cut. Uh, he was caught in Kef Elza, and both were banished, and that's why they moved to Alexandria. So that's kind of how they ended up. In the city that we want to talk to about today and where their murders actually started. <laughs> Lovely. Um, yeah. Together, the sisters opened a series of public houses, which is kind of like a brothel. They were, like, popular mm-hmm. in Egypt. It was a place where visitors would drink alcohol, smoke hashish, and some had prostitutes. Mm-hmm. They said that theirs didn't have prostitutes. It's a lie. <laughs> if it makes you feel better. Exactly. <laughs> um, at the time, they were doing okay, but... Um, World War One started, and their brothel considered like or their public house continued to be somewhat popping. Mm-hmm. However, after World War One is when national agitation in Egypt started because of British occupation. Yeah. So um, after like March nineteen nineteen, strikes were happening, curfews were put in place by the British colonial government. Their economic situation started to deteriorate, and so Sakina and Rhea had to start kind of living off of robbing people and stealing food. For mm-hmm. a while, but then they realized that it wasn't enough, and they wanted to start target targeting women who wore gold jewelry. I'm so. screwed. <laughs> <laughs> so you have gold jewelry? Yeah, that's all I wear. I didn't know that actually. Yeah. I thought you were a silver person. Uh, I should be for my complexion, but you know. Continuing on, their first victim was Raya's neighbor Hanim, where they um, realized that she bought some new jewelry, and so Raya killed her. Hmm. So Sakina found her husband and brother-in-law and other two others, Abdul al-Razik and Arabi Hassan, digging a grave uh, in their house <laughs> oh. to bury the body. Yeah. Wow. So they actually, like, throughout the murders, they just kept the bodies in the houses. You'll kind of learn more about that. Wow. As the murders continued on from November 1919 to November 1920, each of the members, like, of this little crime gang that they've created, each had their own d- duty. Rhea would go to the market, entice women wearing the most jewelry to visit her home, and would tell them that she had half-priced items for sale. Then the gang would give their victim drug-laced drinks. However, other sources said they got them drunk, but I don't. I feel like I think that it was drug-laced. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the women would feel dizzy. Hezbollah would hold a white a wet cloth over the victim's face to suffocate her. Abdullah would hold her feet. Arabi and Abdul Razik would hold the victim's hands behind her back, and then Rhea and Sakina would hold the other parts of the victim's body down until they suffocated. They really did have like a little system, like a thing. Yeah, <laughs> dang. Yeah. <laughs> Imagine planning that all out. All right, you grab the hands. 
<laughs> you're just like a family dinner. <laughs> yeah. All right. So I was going to go down. Okay. Whiteboard. The whiteboard is out. <laughs> After they died, um, the men would remove the tiles of the floor in their house, dig a hole, bury the corpse, and reset the tiles. The sisters would sell the jewelry to the local jeweler. Why is that so hard? Jeweler. Jeweler. <sighs> jeweler. Ali Hassan. And then would divide the money among the six. Wow. Right. I was wondering if they had, um, like, wood floors or tile floors or if it was, like, more of, a, like, a dirt situation where they could easily. Gosh. Okay. I will say that resetting a tile floor would suck so bad. I just sounds like, a, I mean, okay, so I think it's different because you learn about nails later. So okay. I think it's not, like, regular Okay. It's not, like, regular tile. tile. It's different. Or maybe yeah. they're nailing in the tile. I don't know. I'll figure it out. I have no idea. I'll wrap my what brain around it What did they do during this, this century? <laughs> I'm no house construction expert. <laughs> no. <laughs> for, but for a while, um, missing reports were coming in as the police were plagued with a lot of different reports from everybody. But there were some common details that kind of pieced it all together. Mm-hmm. All females known, known to wear gold jewelry, known to be carrying a large amount of money, and seen with one or two of the sisters. There's multiple reports of this. Mm-hmm. The sisters were questioned multiple times, but they each found a way to outwit the investigators. Wow. Right? And at the time, women were above suspicion, I say in quotation marks, as female mm-hmm. perpetrated crimes were unheard of. Finally, it took some time, um, but there were some suspicious discoveries that finally led the police to be like, oh, it's definitely these women. Mm-hmm. For one, a police officer discovered human remains on the side of the road near the sister's residence. It was a body completely dismembered and unrecognizable except for its long braided black hair and a striped black and white pair of socks near the body. Then, the next month after that, the landlord of Sakina's previously rented home reported finding human remains beneath the floor when he was digging to fix a water pipe. He soon smelled a terrible stench from the ground and a shovel hit something hard. And then when he started reaching in, he realized he was holding human bones. <laughs> Could you imagine? I would cry. <laughs> reaching to the ground. And somebody said that he, one of the sources said that the landlord was blind. Oh, no. <laughs> no. Imagine. I didn't, I didn't know if that's like true or not because only one source said that. But mm-hmm. I was like, oh, if it's true, I am so sorry. <laughs> imagine being blind and just feeling that. No, yeah. You're like, well, first of all, I think when you uh, lose one of your senses, all your other senses are heightened. So that smell that he was smelling was probably like nine million times worse than... Like, I hate when people say that, by the way, because it makes me think of, like, werewolves. <laughs> <laughs> Mom, my senses are heightened. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but no, you have a point. Like, oh, the stench must have been terrible. Yeah. That one's rough. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely not, like, where I want to be. <laughs> no, that's why I don't jog in the morning. Yeah, yeah, once again, I know we took a month off, but <laughs> it still stays the same. <laughs> Friendly <Jogging>. reminder, <laughs> don't go running. Or jogging, exactly. really. Or walking. Stay home on the couch. Just stay home. Later, the police questioned Sakina at her new place, and then they went to Rhea's home, but they realized it smelled of powerful incense. When asked, Rhea said it was to get rid of the smell of the public house customers since they, like, drank and they smoked. Mm -hmm. Um, The officer saw that some of the floor tiles in certain parts of the house were newer than the rest of it. And, like, saw different, there was, like, new nails in each of the floor tiles. Mm -hmm. So the police searched all the sisters' previous houses and found a total of 17 women's remains. Ugh. Yeah. Right. This is why you get a, uh, when you buy a home, you get a a house inspection. (laughs) (laughs) Dude, 
stop. Somebody <laughs> found a body under my house. I would never move there. <laughs> I'm like, this is cursed and I have to leave. Right. <laughs> Later, all six of the uh, those involved were arrested. However, it took months of inter- um, interrogations and investigations as each suspect blamed each other. Of course. There was a breakthrough when Badia, Rhea's daughter, who was 10 years old at the time, incriminated them all. She was warned by her parents not to reveal anything before, as they said they'd do the same thing to her. But she said that she watched them through the cracks in the wall as they murdered each victim. Mm-hmm. At the time, there was no records of murderers burying their victims under their houses, so this was, like, a huge revelation to be like, mm-hmm. interesting, people can do that. Um, later, they were sentenced to death, and actually, Ray and Zakina became the first women to be executed executed in modern a- Egypt. They were due to be executed by hanging on December 21st, 1921, and they actually had to wear red execution garments especially tailored for them because women had never been, like, executed before. There. Oh, wow. At the time. And a uh, part that I thought was really sad was the fact that Badia actually got placed in an orphanage um, and died a few years later. And that's why my parents worry about me. Well, I think that was a very interesting case. I didn't realize that they were the first uh, two females to be executed. Yeah. Ever. Ever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's wild. And also, I think it's, it reminds me of Edgar Allan Poe. Like, like a the, poem? Yeah, and where they, like, hid things under the floorboards. Oh, that's true. Well, yeah. Are you ready for my case? I'm so ready for your case. Okay. I'm going to be covering the case of George Joseph Chevek. This serial killer and rapist terrorized New York, specifically the Bronx, in the 1940s. I know, you're thinking, but the Bronx are a long way from Alexandria, Egypt. And to that I say, you're right. Um. (laughs) (laughs) I was going to say, I was like, uh... We actually in New York. Sorry, but <laughs> up this time. Right. <laughs> Even though I'm pretty bad at pronouncing things, I'm pretty good at geography. So I know that uh, Alexandria, Egypt is about like 21 hours away from uh, the Bronx. <laughs> nice. By flight. Um, I, I did Google it, how long it would take. Yeah. So I understand that I kind of dropped the ball on this, but it relates. I promise. It's a good story. Um, and I'm excited to tell you about it. So I want to talk about what this guy looks like a little bit. Okay. This guy looked like the typical 1940s New Yorker with the suits and the nice car. And he had like a little hat that the mobsters wore, uh, Ooh, you know, Street. back in the day. You know, like, I don't know, like a gentleman, like Donald Draper from Mad Men. Or He looked like a mobster in my head, but that was the typical 1940s fashion uh, in New York. So he just looked like a upscale gentleman which is why he was given the name The Gentleman Killer. He was born in the year 1918 in Pennsylvania and had an alleged rough upbringing. Both of his parents were Yugoslavian and Hungarian heritage. Uh, George Joseph used his looks to lure in and rape multiple women. Doesn't that sound super familiar? Sounds like every um, serial killer I've ever heard of. (laughs) Right. Uh, Ted Bundy, Paul John Knowles, Jeffrey Dahmer... Um, what a fool. People have already <laughs> been there. Come on, do something new. <laughs> yeah, so I'm not saying any of these guys are attractive. I'm just saying that people noted them for their attractiveness, if that makes sense. Um, he would be noted as, like, the stylish version of attraction. Not like he's not a baddie. Like, he's not cute. But he dressed nice. 
He dressed nice. Yeah. (laughs) Anyways, let's dive into today's tale. So the police started hearing whispers of a man called the Aspirin Killer. In November, a hitchhiker on the Pulaski Skyway got in a car with a young couple and introduced himself as John Mitchell. He told the couple that he was the mayor of Boys Town, which was a famous Nebraska refuge for youth, funded by uh, Father Edward Flanagan. He told them that he was heading north after word of his sister being in a serious accident in Maine. After he got uh, the ride from the couple, they offered him some cash. And he was like, no, no, no. Like, I can't take any money from you. Thank you so much for the ride. Um, I only want to kill you. (laughs) Right. And they ended up taking it, or he ended up taking it from them. And he's like, give me your address. I'll give you the money right back when I get money. So he wrote down their address on a postcard. Little did the couple know that they would be giving George just the information that he needed to come to their home. So George, who had been disguised as John Mitchell, he knocked on the door knowing that the husband would be away at work. She let him in because, you know, he was a friend and he knew her and everything. And she fed him lunch. And then he started complaining that he had this headache. Um, This detail is what got him nicknamed as the aspirin killer. While she went to get him aspirin, he stole the husband's neckties and began to bind her around her throat and her limbs. Um, He then began to rape her. Poor baby. So after hearing the story, another couple stepped up with a similar story. Um, Only this time, instead of raping the wife, he just tied her up with her husband's neckties and stole her fur coat. Okay, so, so he's getting more bold. Right. And he's also um he's also developing a pattern of like meeting these people, finding out where they live, and then going in and stealing from them or, you know, raping the women that lives in the home. Yeah. Both of these couples describe the man as six foot tall with a stocky build and a scarred lip. They also noted that his complexion was very poor. He had um a lot of acne. And that he was wearing a green striped coat and yellow shoes, which sounds like a fashion disaster, but okay, gentleman killer. Matters the green. What was the green? (laughs) (laughs) It's a look. He went for it. If it's like more of the camo green, I can see it. It could be like a, I feel like it's like a hunter green. I don't know. The way it's described in these stories, it doesn't sound like it's like a, like a. But they said he was like. I thought you said, like, people thought he was attractive. Well, people thought he was attractive for how he dressed, but they didn't think he was attractive himself, if that makes okay. sense. Yeah. But if you look at pictures of him on the internet, he looks like like a well-dressed man. You know? You can't really Listen. tell that he had acne in the photos. If, even if they put, like, a coat on, I'm like, wow, you did so good! <laughs> you stepped up! <laughs> you also have to remember, this is, like, the 1940s, and you're in New York. So they had, like, a, an aesthetic. They had, like, they that did. French coat and that mobster hat, and they had the cool cars, and um, that was just, like, how everyone dressed. They were very That's business. True. I don't know. Like, everybody in Mad Men dressed the same man-wise, so... That's, like, what I'm really going for, even though it's a completely different time period. I'm just, I'm not going to go into it. (laughs) (laughs) So, flash forward to February 5th, 1941. Catherine Kitty Papapas was a 29-year-old housewife to John. 
John was a coffee importer and was 20 years older than her. So he was really robbing the cradle there. She was a trophy wife. Um, they had just moved into an apartment in the Bronx from guess where? I literally have no idea. Or Alexandria, Egypt. Ah, uh, <laughs> probably like where we are this week. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So they had just moved to the Bronx from Alexandria, Egypt, and she was every bit of the definition of a homebody. She was very shy and distant. She never left her apartment, not even to go shop or get her own groceries. Um, she had them delivered to her to her home. She really didn't go outside of her apartment door and rarely spoke to her neighbors. Um, so she was just like painfully shy and just like did not talk to anybody. Her neighbors referred to this brown haired beauty as the Egyptian princess. Which, I mean, um, I mean, she's just like, you know, hiding from like her fans. It's yeah. Fine. Yeah. Which, okay. The Egyptian princess seems very kind for people that have literally never talked to her. I mean, amazing. <laughs> I would love if somebody never met me and was like, princess. Wow, she's such a queen, right? Yeah. I'd be like, thank you. <laughs> I know. But no one would listen to my voice on this podcast and be like, that's a queen. <laughs> I just really hope my neighbors think of me as like a cool nickname. I am in my pajamas all the time. So like when I go get my mail, I'm in my pajamas. When I go do my, you know, get into my car to get things, I'm in my pajamas. Like, I'm sure they're not thinking, oh, this pajama princess. Literally, me too. <laughs> I had to go out to the garage, and we don't have an attached garage, so mm-hmm. like, literally, I feel like all the neighbors watch me. They're not saying good things about me behind my back. I already know that. They're like, does this girl have a job, or is she like literally homeless? <laughs> <laughs> she just lives out of the garage. <laughs> <laughs> so John returned home from a long day at work to find his house had been turned into a crime scene. It was apparent that very early on there was a struggle, and they... And that he told the police very early on that his, his wife would never open the door without looking through the people. Like, she was so shy that if she didn't notice who you were from the people, she would not answer the door. So it had to have been someone that she knew. So in the apartment, the couple's finest china, two coffee cups and saucers were sitting on a serving table next to a plate filled with finger foods and cookies and two partially filled glasses of wine. As police continued on into the apartment, they noticed that the couple's wedding photo was left on the chair that they were uh, supposedly eating at, um, which usually was hanging on top of their dresser. So the police began to think that Kitty had taken the photo down to show her murderer her wedding photos, which is like, I don't know, a super sad detail um, because they had just gotten married two years earlier. So she was, you know, a a new bride and she had just moved to a completely different country and she was super excited to like I don't know uh meet a friend or meet one of her husband's friends and she just like wanted to share I don't know a piece of her with him and then he goes and kills her which sucks that's really sad yep um there was also an overturned lamp in the living room um another detail that uh is very important is a bottle of aspirin and a water of a glass of water laid still on the on the small table in the apartment so there was aspirin laying around the house kitty had been dragged into her bedroom with a handkerchief stuffed in her mouth and was bound by her husband's neckties and kitchen towels uh she died when another towel was tightened around her neck Mm -hmm. so after she had been 
um, murdered. He stole her wedding ring, a gold crucifix, $50 in cash, some of her jewelry, and a silver cigarette box. But he also left some other information about him that was really vital to the case. So he left a pack of his own cigarettes and um, on the glass that he was drinking out of, full sets of fingerprints. A fool. (laughs) Right. (laughs) You've done this how many times? Yeah. uh, A a lot. A lot. Like, a lot. Yeah, like, what are you you thinking? Like, I would... Come on. Right. Yeah. Sloppy. I think he he really thought that he was, like, this genius of a guy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So the details... Right. So the details tip police off, and the whispers of Don Mitchell roared. So when the news of this story hit the papers, several couples came forward saying that they had experienced similar situations. So the two couples that we talked about earlier were similar to, you know, Kitty's story. Um, And George Joseph had attacked women from Maine to Delaware with over 20 accounts of a man in a green coat who told tales of great misfortune and weaseled his way into a home and then attacked them. Why wouldn't he change his outfit? That's the other thing. I know. He's so dumb. He's just so dumb. <laughs> Sir. <laughs> um, one of the stories that I laughed out loud with is um, there was this woman who had a stranger knock on her door and he like launched into this huge tale about how he was his hun- husband's friend and yada, yada, yada. And the girl was like, my husband's been dead for two years. So there's no way you just saw him. <laughs> caught in a lie right? so she's like goodbye um so she was one of the lucky ones that didn't get robbed or uh, assaulted or murdered but he did have several cases against him 20 couples came up you know and said um what they had experienced there were two major details that helped detectives find their their killer and their serial killer sorry their serial rapist According to the Daily News, in his attempt to impress his victims, the bandit would talk of his close ties to Father Flanagan and would sometimes try to prove it by dropping a postcard in the mail to the head of Boys Town. So, um... I'm sorry, but I'm laughing at the fact that he was like, gotta impress my victims. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Can't let these girls know I'm a loser. Right. So, I'm just gonna, like, write a postcard to Father Flanagan. But the best part about it is he really is an idiot because... Um, at Boys Town, there was a stack of these odd messages at the Nebraska Refuge um, because of George not being the brightest person. They were easy to identify because the bandit had misspelled the father's name. <laughs> so there was I'm just so like cool. a stack of random postcards from this guy where he spelled his name completely wrong. And they were just like, I guess we'll keep these just in case. <laughs> but according to the um in like the daily news the police gained one of two critical clues they they found a handwriting sample mm-hmm. and the second clue was the fingerprints on the glass in the apartment um and they because of those two details they were able to figure out it was George Joseph who was 23 at the time and he was a petty crook with a long record so they're, like, easy to identify. Yeah. 
I personally think the way that they caught him was really funny and I really and it really showed how egotistical and idiotic this man was. The detectives went to all of the cheap hotels, shelters, and other places uh, around the area in the Bronx comparing the handwriting samples that they got. Mm-hmm. They finally found a match at a hotel called Mills Hotel where a man named Jack Mitchell had been staying. Um, he had a handful of different names, but most of them ended in Mitchell. Mm-hmm. The detectives then dressed up as desk clerks and waited for George to come in for the night. Ooh, a stakeout. <laughs> right. So George strolled in around 9 p.m. wearing exactly the description that everyone had said. I'm literally <laughs> screaming, wash it and throw it away. Right. <laughs> <laughs> he was wearing a green coat, yellow shoes. He had pimples and a scarred lip. Like the whole shebang. <laughs> oh my God, cover your face. You fool. You fool. Just, there's so many things that he could have done. Um, oh, a fucking holes through <laughs> these people's lives. So um, they arrested him, obviously, at the hotel. He confessed to a ton of different crimes, Kitty being one of them. But he did tell police that her death was a complete accident. He was just trying to rob her and that he had picked her address at random and used his sad tail to get into her home. <laughs> sad tail. Right. So sad. Kitty, being the polite homebody and wife to the prestigious coffee importer, thought that she had to entertain him and let him in for her husband, which is super sad. She um, really meant well. It's really yeah. Sad. She was just trying to entertain him until her husband got home. I think he's lying about that, and I think that he actually did mean to kill her. I don't think it was an accident. The last detail, which I also think is interesting, is on May 19th, 1941, a handful of Bronx businessmen walked into the jury box. It only took them 20 minutes to deliberate and sentence him to the electric chair. So he died on February 26th, 1942, and that's why my parents worry about me. Oh, my God. Well. <laughs> Don't answer your door. Yeah, honestly, women, come on. You know that you can only look through the people and yell through the door because <laughs> we're so li- more likely to be murdered. Right. Oh, dude, if I, I don't ever answer the door for anybody. No, ever. it's really bad. <laughs> me, me and my sister laugh all the time because I'm not even kidding. Someone will ring our doorbell and me and sister will, <laughs> my sister will be like, I don't know, we're really... Hold on, my cat's being a menace. <laughs> Luna. Um, but me and my sister will literally like hit the floor in the dining room and like look out into the window. Hell yeah. And we'll be like looking to see who it is because we're just like so weird about it. <laughs> <laughs> because also we don't want like don't want to talk to people. So mm-hmm. we're like, if we don't have to open the door, I'm not gonna open it. But I like when my um sometimes I like because I don't know, my windows are always open, and so if the light's on and we hit the floor, and, like, mm-hmm. we're, like, on all fours, like, just looking out the window, <laughs> sometimes they'll look at us, and we'll make direct eye contact. <laughs> <laughs> and then me and my sister are like, oh, we have to go. We have to go now. <laughs> See, okay, so there's two things in your story that you need to change. The first is that you need to close your windows and blinds at all My dad time. doesn't. No, my parents love to have the windows open. Uh, I'm like, have you ever seen the, the TV show You? <laughs> like, no, please. I have not. It's, a, it's one of those that I was told I need to watch, but I haven't. Um, yeah. And the second is you need to get a ring. 
doorbell so you can see who's we at have, your door before. We do need that. All right. So why are your parents proud of you this week? Um, I turned in my first draft for my thesis. Um, Hell freaking yeah. But I didn't really do all of it because <laughs> I was like, wow, I'm done. But then my date keeps getting extended and my like mm-hmm. thesis advisors are like, I mean, technically you need to fix this by this date. And actually I need to do that by then. And I'm like, oh, so I'm not done. <laughs> no, you have about a month and a half more work to do. Sorry, bud. I know. I keep thinking I'm almost done. But at least I got <laughs> the big part done. Now I just have to like revise and stuff. Right. Like I wrote it. Yeah. It's done. Um, so yeah, my parents are proud of me because they're like, thank God. I feel like you've been in grad school forever. And I have been. I feel like I live there now. <laughs> so yeah. yeah, it feels good. What about you? Why are your parents proud of you? Um, I think I am just thankful that Thanksgiving, even though it wasn't with my family, that it was like a very good Thanksgiving. And my parents, um, my mom and dad made like a crazy awesome um, spread. They dropped it off my house. Um, and I really appreciate them. I know it's like really annoying to like have to put everything in like Ziploc baggies and things like that. So, and people spend hours cooking. Like it's crazy how long people cook. I don't cook, so I don't know, but um, I don't cook. <laughs> I'm, I'm just thankful for like my mom, um, and my dad for, you know, still doing Thanksgiving, even though it's just the two of them in their house and the two of us in, you know, my house. Um, and then my in-laws also did the takeout thanksgiving oh yeah 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 so uh i'm just thankful for my family and Aww. getting through all the funness of mine was season. like sweet like, like that thankful for my family and like you know being happy and healthy i mean while i'm literally like i did my thesis i did my over. thesis and i'm done with college <laughs> or my master's <laughs> i'm doing my master's and you'll never see me again <laughs> goodbye <laughs> goodbye you want to wrap things up yes we should all right. All right. Go get them uh, double boiled eggs. What are they? Deviled eggs. Deviled eggs. Yeah, I do enjoy a good deviled egg. All right. Do- um, double boiled eggs. Shut up, Taylor. <laughs> They'll be like fried. Ew. Ew. <laughs> um, okay. Um, once again, thank you guys for listening to us after our big break. We're so excited to be back on air. Just a reminder that we're on all streaming platforms like Spotify, Apple Music, we're on Anchor, we're all around um, the world, figuratively and literally. <laughs> and yeah, just keep uh, supporting us, please. It really, like, is nice to know that we have some listeners. So yeah, mm-hmm. that's my two cents. What about you, Taylor? Anything to say? Not really. I mean, you wrapped it up so beautifully. Um, thank you. Thank you so much for, you know, holding out for this episode. Hopefully you enjoyed it. Uh, continue to like subscribe and i don't know talk to us through our instagram we always really love talking to you guys and please we're so lonely (laughs) we don't leave our homes (laughs) please i have nothing (laughs) um and that's i think this week's episode yeah sounds good all right ready to do this first time in a while i know let's see if we're rusty (laughs) real all right Bye. bye yeah that's perfect that'll that'll work